This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to Asia Torah and the Essentials Program here in the Holy City of Jerusalem. And today is our final uh, installment of the Purim series that we've been doing. And what we've been doing is is basically explaining the entire uh, experience of Purim by going through the various mitzvahs of the day. And those are Megillah Esther, and and then we have giving tzedakah to anyone who asks without verifying, you know, whether he's worthy or not. We do not open up anybody's file in in you know hopes that God won't open our file when we pray on Purim. Never want your file open. The next was Matanas uh, Levionim was giving to the poor, and that is to. And that was to, well, a big part of our life is, uh, is our fear of poverty and our need to have security. And so we got to look a poor man in the eyes on poor man and, and recognize that, that, that we are him and he is us. And, you know, the, I can't, sometimes I can't tell who's poorer. Wealthy people who are scared to death of poverty mm-hmm. or poor people who are already poor. <laughs> You understand? It's like I think probably wealthy people who can't sense, they don't sense their own wealth and they're they're in scarcity mode. You know, I have people who I've called people who their their financial you know uh, what do you call it net worth their their net worth financially is in the you know eighties nineties and I know he had a bad month. I got my finger on the pulse. I know he had a bad month, but. There's a family that needs three grand, you know. They just need three grand right now. <laughs> and so I'll call the guy and I'll say, like, we need three grand right away. And But he's right now back to sensing a lack of security right now because he just had a bad month. And he says to me, I'll match somebody. Find another guy to give 1500 and I'll match him. And, and so you, you understand who's really poor, the person I'm raising money for or the guy with $80 million. The guy with $80 million is poor. You get that? He's the poor man. And if when we're thinking like that, you know, and there's also, you can imagine, I'm 26 years a rabbi to a lot of very wealthy people. And I, many of those people at times were up big time. And I could not get a word in edgewise to raise funds for people who are in desperate need. I'm talking like, desperate need and I couldn't even get in there to like just I, they wouldn't even let me speak about it you know, they don't mind me hanging with them they're happy to get my advice they're happy to have me teach them everything but I couldn't get a word in for the desperate and uh, and then in the end they lost it mm-hmm. and then come to me to comfort them over their financial losses and they have no clue what where my mind and heart are at that how many Really, thousands of people could have been helped while they were up. You get that? While they were up, thousands of people could have gotten helped. And they would never have known the difference they were doing so well right then. They could have done it without even noticing it. And instead, none of those people got helped. And, and then they wound up losing it anyway. Yeah, it's insane. Where's that come from? <laughs> Fear of poverty. And so we got to look that poor man in the eyes, or a poor woman in the eyes. Like, find a good, you know... Find a nice widow with nothing. I got plenty in my neighborhood, by the way. If anyone's looking, if any of the women would like to give a widow who's like really broke, so just come by our house around Friday afternoon and we will direct you um, to obviously a big glass of wine and crazy dancing, but we'll also direct you to uh, uh, one of our, the widows in our community, which is like every other door. You, know. you can basically just like pin the tzedakah on the donkey. You know, there's, it's, it's, we, have a, we have a lot of widows in my area. Maybe I should move out. It's like Widow Row over there. What? Can you ask your address? Sure, it's Hanatsev 11. Can you write it down? I could. Uh, I guess I can. <laughs> I will in a second. Anyway, but this is not the time to give it the office. This is the time to, you know, really experience the uh, situation of the person. 
and to, you know, be real. It's a good time to be real. Let's see, 11. And there's plenty of poor uh, men as well in the neighborhood. I can't tell who's poorer. Is it the widows who already married off? Or is it the, the younger families who have, you know, 10 kids to marry off and the guy teaches third grade? You know, can you imagine marrying <laughs> off 10 kids when you're teaching third grade? Because <laughs> we marry our kids off at 18, 19, 20. <coughs> you know, so there's no, it's not like the kids now earning and now he's getting married. And by the way, I just want to mention, since I brought up that subject, just for men to know that we had this room packed with women the other day. We had about 20 women in here. And I had them hold up their hands if they'd be happy to marry a man without money as long as they knew he was going to earn. As long as he was willing to earn and going to earn, they were happy to marry him for love, for true love. And they all raised their hands. Oh, there was one woman who didn't. One out of 20. One woman said, no, if he ain't got no dough, no dough, no show. <laughs> One out of 20. There were, there were 19 that said they would, they would marry for them because they probably had enough experience of fixing couples that didn't have it. You ever been at a Shabbos table and been uncomfortable in front of the couple? The couple? Because you could see they didn't have it yeah. together. So like, yet the place was probably pretty nice. It's a pretty nice house, pretty nice everything. Finances were there, but the love wasn't wasn't there. And so, yeah. certain things you get. There's so many things that are where real life occurs, and they're all within in the inner world. Okay, then we got the uh, yesterday we did Mishloch Monos. So I saw a nice one about Mishloch Monos to give gifts is uh, to give. A gift item, uh, specifically food. You can give whatever you want, but you should include two brachos of food. And um, one of the uh, a funny thing I saw was make a, take your list of people you're going to give mishalach monos to, and now throw it away and give shalach monos to whoever you were not going to give to. Because mm. <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We went really deep yesterday, so if anyone wants to check out the deepest class of the four series. It was yesterday when there were we. A lot of yeah. What? There were a lot of filters. They were playing around with filters. Yeah, the I know. So I had like, there, uh, Facebook was putting different hats on me. <laughs> <laughs> really? So, that's, that's that's like the cover of the one on Facebook. Uh, so anyway, there. Um, those are available. That's available. Yesterday's class. And what it was all what it was all about was that we're all just stuck in our own perm story. The people we don't like so much are stuck in their perm story. Okay. And lastly, and this is going to be today's focus, is to party what? Party. Party hardy. Okay. <laughs> we're party hardy. So um, that's the mitzvah we'll focus on today, which is kind of a funny mitzvah while we're fasting, but that is the mitzvah. And what is required of us is to drink a lot of wine. We're supposed to drink. I mean, the the, the Talmud says inish A man or a person is is obligated libasume. It sounds more like besume. I mean, it sounds like they should be smoking weed. You know, from the word besume. But uh, <laughs> but what we uh, but what we're talking about is is wine. And the reason we mention wine is because wine has the same numerical value as secrets, right? Yain and Sod. And when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. And what's the secret? The secret is, is that your whole story of your life is really God running the story. Like God's been orchestrating your entire story. He's sitting behind like a big studio panel and like having you run into people. You know? He's got all these levels having you like suddenly see someone you haven't seen in a while and it's like he has to turn a knob to have them turn your way and he's like the guy turns the corner and they and of course there's a once in a while you know you just need to crash, <coughs> crash or have someone crash into you you know while you're driving so he just takes that level he just goes like <laughs> and you're like what the hell get out of your car and there's some you know one of your neighbor's wives just crashed into you and she's like oh my gosh 
Oh, this is so embarrassing. I know you. You're my husband's friend. And then it's like, you know, she has to go home and say, I crashed into Rabbi Glazer today, you know. And, and God's running all this stuff because think about think about God, you know, poor guy. <laughs> he, he says you're going to make a certain amount of money during the year. For ex- this is one example, you're going to make a certain amount of money. He says there's a rush, shut it, and then you wind up making much more. So what are you going to do? What does he got to do? He's got to have this happen, and a little parking ticket here, and a little over here, and a little there, and a little fine over here, and. And you say, that's why one of the scariest months of the year is L. Why? Because it's his last month to fix everything. You know, so you'll notice crazy stuff will happen in L. Like, you know, some, some money changer will call you in L and say, yeah, about five months ago you changed a check with me and um, I, I had written it down for $700, but when I reviewed my checks, I saw it was $200. So you owe me $500. <laughs> You know, and how did you find that out? Because it was almost Rosh Hashanah and you were desperate to change a $500 check that someone gave you for the holidays. And so you go in the money changer that you knew and you're like, oh, great, yeah, here, I'd like to change this $500 check. And he's like, oh, perfect. You owe me $500. And you're like, what? He's like, yeah, let me show you all the copies of the checks and stuff. And you're looking at a check that says seven, but in handwriting it's written two. Because the two and the seven sometimes look similar. And I'll give you an example right now, actually. You can pass this one around. So, anyway, what we're going to do comes... What we're going to do comes uh, Purim is we're going to party really hard and we're going to drink that wine. And when we drink that wine, the secrets... Guys, I'm up here. You'll get the check when it comes. We're going to drink... Is your name... Is your name Ruthie Adler? Yeah. So he's leaving with a check. This is the same guy who wants to smoke the weed. <laughs> what do you think he wants the money for? Exactly. <laughs> he wants to buy the weed exactly. with the check. So, <laughs> anyway, the we're going to drink the wine and the secret's going to come out. What's the secret? The secret is that the God, who's the king of the universe, has been running the show. He's been running the show this whole time and everything we've been going through is from him. I know a lot of people, I mean, I think we all know a lot of people, but especially as a rabbi, I know a lot of people going through hell right now. And I bless all of them. Some of them have buried children, some of them have buried husbands, some some of them have buried two parents within months of one another. And, And some are in jail. Like my phone call literally as I came into class, just before I put the camera on there was a phone call from jail. And so, and imagine his wife and kids, porn. You know what kind of porn is that? You know, and, and they. So, I'll tell you what kind of porn it is. It's an amazing porn because we're all in our story, and it's time to get it in a deep way that we're all inside our story. We're all just in this amazing porn story. And there's, there's God, the king, but the hidden king, just like in the Megillah, is hidden. And the Megillah is called Megillah Esther, the revelation, revelation of the hidden. And we're going to read a rough story. The story's a horrible story. It's our worst point in our history until then. Do you guys realize that that whole story takes place in the worst time of our history? We just had a Holocaust 70 years earlier with, uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar. 70 years. Oh my gosh, that's weird. This year's 70. Is it 70 years from the Holocaust? No, no. 73 years. 70 years of Israel? Yes. We're at 73 years from the Holocaust. But we're here. Like, there's some hope. Mm-hmm. They were in they were in Persia having the first temple destroyed, ransacked. Ten of the tribes are gone. Gone. I mean, imagine he had 12 kids and 10 are gone. You know, like, for God being the father of the 12 tribes. Ten of, the, ten of the tribes are long gone. They were exiled before. And, and then all that's left is this remnant of Judeans and, and a couple Benjaminites, like Mordechai was from Benjamin. And it is a horrible time, and then the horrible story ensues all the way to a major genocide decree. 
and our biggest prophetess gets ripped out of her home into to be married to a filthy monster, you know, of a king. And I mean, nothing's going good in that story. The best news in the entire story is that there wasn't that the genocide didn't happen, which is good news. But like, how about no genocides to begin with? <coughs> All of us would prefer to not go through what we went through. And so we're going to read this crazy story. But what's the one thing hidden in the terrible story? The king. The king is hidden inside the story, and that's God. Now the party. What are we going to do? We're going to. It says in the Talmud, the A man is obligated to get intoxicated. Let's call him Adeloyada, till he no longer knows. Now, what's the word Adeloyada? It comes from the word da, dea, da, or das. And what is das? Das is the tree of distinction, the tree of knowledge, the tree till you no longer know. What do I mean till you no longer know? How did we fall? We fell by eating a tree that gave us recognition of distinction. Before we ate from the tree, everything was one. Once we ate from the tree, we, things got disting, distinguished. Good and evil got distinguished. Bad and good. Light and dark, table and chair, man and woman, clothed, unclothed, something that they suddenly realized they were naked. I mean, you got to be pretty out there if you don't realize you're naked. But only when they ate from the fruit, they realized they're naked. Because there was no distinction between clothed and unclothed. There was no distinction. All was one. Well, interesting. All was one. And then they ate from a tree, and suddenly the world got distinguished. Distinction. And we are commanded now on this holiest of days of the year to drink so much that we no longer know until it's telling you how much till you no longer know. In other words, till you no longer can distinguish. And when you can no longer distinguish, what happens is your sense of reality goes through a major shift it goes, sorry, did I say reality? Your sense of sanity goes through a major shift. See, sanity before, what is sanity? Sanity, can I just define sanity? Sanity is someone who's in touch with reality. What's someone who's insane? Someone who's out of touch with reality. What's a person who's insane? Someone who's out of touch with reality. What's someone who's sane? Someone in touch with reality. Except, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, no offense. You know, I hate to scare anybody here, but what you've been calling reality ain't reality. And so you're insane. Because your reality, you're thinking this physical world, this space and time matrix we're in, which is just the outer crust of some incredible matrix of parallel realms, that this outer crust is reality. You're insane. Now, I'm glad you're insane, because you probably, in your insanity, look both ways before you get off a curb. Or an egg and bus flies by. And I'm glad people are more or less thinking this reality is reality because, you know, I'm out there on my bike or in my car and I, I'd like to know people are stopping at stop signs and, and going at go signs. Although my brothers and I were such wild drivers that we used to stop at green lights just for a check. And then we'd drive in our neighborhood. In our neighborhood. And not only we do that, a lot of people do that. And people would ask me, like, why are you stopping? It's a green light. And I said, my brother may be coming the other way. <laughs> we, we, we were kind of like we were really Jewish you know it's very Jewish to like not believe in civil law you know because we're, we're Torah law we, Torah law we do it all we dot our eyes we cross our T's but don't tell us about civil law I'm kidding by the way this is not I'm hardly advocating driving on red lights this is this is something that's only for glazers now <laughs> I've noticed that I've been a little unfiltered since Purim started, and, and I'm, a, I'm saying like crazy stuff, but I'm thinking to do this all year. Now, the only problem is I've been getting like comments later saying like, I, Rabbi, I think you re re forgot to retract a joke you made, and I said I refuse to retract it. So, anyway... <laughs> I think it's probably important that has no smartphones around you know. 
Now, the, um, the next is, where are we at? Insanity. insanity, yeah. Is calling this world reality is insanity. Mm-hmm. So we're all insane. And that's why Rav Noach Weinberg Zatzal walked into the Beit Midrash one day. And he had a pin on, and he had a bag full of pins, told us all to put these pin on, pins on. And we put on the pins. And what did the pins say in big letters? They said, big, big pins, they said, we know it. So we're all wearing our pins, and we're waiting for the Rosh Hashiva to tell us why we are wearing a pin that says we know it. And he says, we know it is that we know we're crazy. <laughs> you see, everyone out there is pretending they're sane. They're really, they got a problem. Everyone who thinks this world is the basis for sanity. Listen carefully what I'm saying. Everyone who thinks this world's the basis for sanity is crazy. We know it's not, and we know we're crazy. Not to mention the Yitzhahar, but even without the Yitzhahar. The fact that you think this world's where it's at. Someone just sent me a video clip. I actually probably shouldn't have done this, but I posted it on my... I told you I'm unfiltered. I posted it on my uh, WhatsApp. Uh, oh, no. What? <laughs> Not the Mexican uh, sports. Oh. It shows, like, total B'nai Torah watching the Super Bowl. And I was thinking, okay, you know, that's a bit of a musser, you know... All these, like, from people watching the Super Bowl in their house, you know, with the Bobby and the Zay. It looked like Passover or something. You know, it was cute. But then they won. And you see these people jump. Like, no one's been this happy at a chasana. It wasn't in the video back at all. No. It's just them sitting around. It's not. It's like the Beta Mikdash was being built. Oh, my gosh. No no one celebrated at any day of the year like they celebrated in the Super Bowl. They're hugging each other and screaming ecstatically over something that happened with, you know, illiterate uh, inner city men running up and down a field with a a sewn together piece of pig that, you know, they managed to move that piece of pig into something called an end zone. I think we should start thinking about the end zone as death. And, and make sure that's when we're celebrating. Wow. Not when some illiterate, oversized men get a pigskin into an end zone. You know, we got to focus on the real end zone. That's yeah. Now, Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, and they ran into the world of what's called the Alma de Shikra in Kabbalah. Alma de Shikra means the world of Sheker. Alam shall Sheker. Alma de Shikra. The world of lies. This world is called the Alma de, de Dimion, the world of illusion. It's an illusion. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's so obvious. It's an illusion because God, for example, God doesn't do time. Right? You guys realize God doesn't create time. He only creates now. It's just from a human perspective, thousands of nows looks like what? Time. God, God he can't create time. If you think about it, there's a couple things God can't do. One of them is can't create time. He can only create our perspective of time. You know why he can't? You know why he can't? It sounds strange, right? He can't create time. can't create time because all of creation is only if God's doing it right now. Think about it. God, yeah, your brain's gonna burst. God can't. He can only create. He can only create from Himself. Where's creation coming from? You know, I haven't done this in ages. I'll just give the four-second proof of God. But before I do, just, can, if you have nothing, if there's absolutely nothing in the room right now, we got rid of everything in this room and boarded up the room and came back a year later, what would be in the room? Nothing. Nothing, because what does nothing make? Everyone say nothing. nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. <coughs> Here's the four-second proof of God. Ready? Before there was something, there was... Nothing. nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Now, if there all there was was God, so what did God use to create the world? If all there was was Himself, that's all there was was God. So what's He making the world out of? Himself. So what is this? This is ultimately God, but we have a different name of God for this. We have a name of God for beyond space and time. That's called Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, which we pronounce Adna, the Master, because He's pretty masterful. And then we have a name called Elohim. And that's this world. This world's made of what's called Elokus. It's all made of Elokus. That's why we have two names of God. One for eminent and one for imminent. Right? Beyond and within. 
And uh, those are the two names of God. And Purim is amazing because the whole story is about how God's within and you don't see it. You're in your life and you're dealing with your life and you think this world's real. This world's not real. God's just creating the world from absolute nothing into something at all times. But when he does that in a quick strobe, so it becomes what we call time. Well, it's time seems to occur. But there really is no time. There's only now and now and now. Now, we do have a collective history. That's fine. And you can learn a ton from that history. And we also have a concept of future, and you can plan for it. It's great. But how many of us have been living in the future? And how many of us have been living in a future? This is going to be for good thinkers. How many of us have been living in a future that's being filtered out based on moments of the past that didn't feel so good? And so we're trying to navigate we're trying to navigate into the future in such a way that we shouldn't get embarrassed or shouldn't feel bad or shouldn't get hurt or shouldn't, you know, hurt. Or how many of us are navigating? How many of us are driving our car looking out a rearview mirror? Or another way of saying it, how many of us are driving our car sitting on the dashboard with the wheel between our legs staring out the back window? Because we're being so careful not to, not to crash into the past in some event. Can you move that jacket, please? Is that yours? And uh, you can slide over one minute. Why is it really? Why happy? Huh? Why we are always looking for the future, not to be crushed in the past? Why do we act like that? <laughs> Why do we act like that? So part of our Megillah, part of the Megillah is we wear a double mask. Everybody, we wear two costumes. We wear double mask. You have, um, first of all, there's you. That's your beautiful you. There's a beautiful you. That's you. Then you have a mask that you wear is your crazy, insane voice in your head saying all kinds of negative things about you from your things, your, yeah, this bumps and bruises of your childhood, things you went through, family dynamics. <coughs> That's mask one. Mask two is, is the pretty, beautiful mask you wear to, that no one should ever know about the inner mask but most people think they are the inner mask well actually most people think they're the outer mask but they're both masks and all of this masquerade party that we're in this story we're in has you calculating the future it has you in constant calculations constant what was the word I used? Filtration. filtrations or whatever you say whatever you want to call it but we are, we, are, we are vigilantly entering into the future to make sure the past doesn't get us again. Which means we're everywhere but here, where God is. Now, the beauty of wine going into your body, the beauty of wine entering your body is that your normal ability to do this whole lose the now thing disappears and your story becomes a joke meaning the whole story becomes a joke and you're gonna and we get to party in our worst times we get to party we get to get it we get to see somehow you get a glimpse on Purim of how it was it's all God and it was all part and everything we went through in the past was all part of this story we are all in an orchestrated reality that's being orchestrated by a king that you cannot see and that's the experience of quorum once we get intoxicated. And ladies, I'm just warning you that you have to be in an extremely safe environment if you're going to be drinking because there's men drinking and, and it's quorum. And there are like rules suddenly get very hazy on quorum. And, the, uh, and so it's important that you, if you either don't drink or if you're going to drink, it's only going to be when you found yourself in a very safe environment to, and then enjoy, like meeting with a family, and you know you're with the family, and you're going to stay there. You're not going to drunkenly suddenly disappear down the street randomly, you know. Maybe tie a rope to to your wrist or something. And we, anyway, the Talmud continues. Hayavinish libesume. A person is obligated to get intoxicated until he no longer knows. What does it mean until he longer, no longer knows? It means he or she no longer uses the physical world 
as their basis for sanity. I'm going to say that again. You have to drink until you no longer are using this physical, external, papier-mâché, outer crust as your basis for sanity. Well, then what would be your basis for sanity? If, if you're no longer going to use the regular rules of creation and gravity and you know, if you're gonna, if you're no longer using those rules, so what is your basis for sanity? Because we're going into the most sane day of the year, but it is <coughs> the day seems absolutely insane. Like I don't even any first timers here in Jerusalem for Purim. <laughs> you have no idea what's about to happen in this city. I'm going to Nakamura. Don't do it. No, but you're coming back. Huh? You're not, not going to stay in it. What are you doing for Shabbos? No, no, you're not. Cancel. You're not staying for Shabbos. You're going to be for Shabbos. You're not going there for Shabbos. You're in Jerusalem for Shabbos. Seriously. Or you, I'm no longer your rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> After all we've been through. <laughs> Sorry. You're, no way. No one's leaving Jerusalem for Shabbos. Everyone there, and there are people who had plans, and they're like, like people had hotels and spot reservations and stuff. Only to realize that, they, you know, they never th- realized Purim was really Friday because they're from outside of Israel. They didn't realize Purim was Friday. Exactly. Is Purim Thursday or is it Friday? It's Friday. Friday's the party, and it goes <coughs> till late Shabbos night. You just yeah. got to be careful around sundown to get rid of your stuff. And uh, we make Kiddush without Purim because we've already been drinking. And and then we're going to we, and we already made a mozi, so, special, so we already made a mozi. Uh-huh. Made a mozi around one or two. Also, wherever you wash, remember that you may bench in a very different location. So, <laughs> and, and that's fine, but you do have to wash with that in mind. So have in mind that when you wash, you'll be you never know where you'll be benching, and also have in mind that you'll be. Um, that you do have to eat every once in a while, or drink, but every like 72 minutes you should have something. So if you're leaving on a bit of a journey, put a little piece of challah in your pocket or something, so you remember to eat. Yeah? Can I ask you, so there are different opinions about Purim on Fridays, right? Yeah, but Litvox will be, Litvox, which is obviously no one in this room, but Litvox will be benching Purim, they're gonna bench Purim, and then they have to drink early in the day because they have to be sober enough for Shmone Esrei, for Mariv, in the evening. And they also have to, you know, they'll, they'll be getting ready for Shabbos, they'll be doing their showers and get, getting the mikvah and stuff like that. They have to, you know, they have full, a Litvak has full Shabbos prep and they got to deal with that. And whereas, you know, all the young revelers, they were like, can't be bothered, and all the chassidim, and all the um, Yerushalmis. It's the Minhag Yerushalayim, and this is also for the non-chassidim. The, but they're not called Litvaks, they're called Perushim. You heard of Perushim? Perushim are the, what would have been Litvaks had they stayed in Europe, but they moved to Jerusalem 200 years ago. They also party all the way in to Shabbos. Sfardim, uh, and you know Sfardim party into Shabbos? Do you know? Of course. No, 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 the customers. They're probably... Just doing whatever happens. Yeah. You know? They're just going with what happens. Do you know the custom? By Syrians? They party in the Shabbos? Of course. I think they probably party in the Shabbos. But again, these are customs from hundreds of years ago in Jerusalem. Uh, but if you're not Hasidic, you should ask a question if you if it's okay for you to just party into Shabbos. Does that mean Jerusalem is like the main perm? I'm from outside of Jerusalem. No. Wherever you live is your perm. Um, uh, there was one other announcement I was going to make. I can't remember. We're good. Okay. Now, um, regarding that part, and and by the way, our party is only uh, many. Anyone who wants to stop by and say lachayim, that's that's going to be like after three. After three, it's going to be a little more intimate before three. Okay. So anyone who wants to pop by and make lachayim after three. Shabbos night, um, people should go to their meals, but you can come party with us at any point. And there's going to be a Kabbalat Shabbat and Mariv at midnight yeah. at our house. Okay, come with you. <laughs> now, um, so if, if you no longer can use the physical world as your basis for sanity, 
Listen carefully, you, got, you guys got to answer this question. If you can no longer use the physical world as your basis for sanity, what now is reality? What's now reality? Your essence. Essence? Virtuality. Okay, very good. If you can't use physicality, physicality as your reference for, for reality, for sanity, so then what's left is spirituality. Well, what's the source of all spirituality? God. Now, unless you're like some heavy Kabbalist or like some like, you know, Amazon shaman who like knows how to navigate the spiritual world, you probably don't. And that's the amazing thing about being Jewish is we don't have a relationship really with that stuff anyway. Our relationship's with the king. The king that's the power source of the divine. I mean, all of the spiritual realms that Kabbalists are so well versed in, okay, I'm sure their Purim's like super amazing, but the rest of us, we're in a relationship with the king who powers the whole thing. Meaning, if, you're, if, you're, if your father was the CEO of Bank of America and you needed checkbooks, you wouldn't go to a teller. Meaning, you don't have to go to all the, you don't have to go to the metaphysical. You go straight to the king, which is daddy, who's, who's the CEO of the company. And you call your dad or you send him a WhatsApp and you say, I need checks. And I need them, if you don't mind, by noon. And then daddy just sends checks over by noon, two hours later. You got your checks. And with God, it's even quicker than two hours sometimes. And so we have a relationship with the king, the hidden king. That's our connection, is with the king. That's amazing. So our basis for sanity, you're right, is spirituality. But spirituality is extremely complex. So what's our basis of sanity on Purim? basis of sanity on Purim is the king. The king. Jews cut to the chase. This is the beauty of it. Like, are any of you ladies, for example, are any of you ladies going to go study, like, the secrets of the Arizal for, like, you know, until you have a beard going down to the floor, you know? Not going to happen. But do you have a relationship with the king? You have a relationship with the king? Sure. You, oh, you, you, what do you mean, like to? You only exist as, oh, learn that stuff. No, you'll learn stuff. You will learn. And some learn more than others. It all depends on your diet. Some people have a bigger appetite for spirituality. Some people have a lesser appetite. And then there's the yeshiva system that has, seems to have no appetite. But the, uh, but the, uh, no, but there are individuals in yeshivas that do have an appetite. And at night or Thursday nights, they will study spirituality. You know, they'll learn about it. But, well, they, we do this in this course, Essentials. You see, the yeshiva communities. And the Hasidic, unfortunately, in yeshivas. The yeshiva community, including Hasidic, are very focused on God's will. Which is beautiful. You've got to know God's will. How are you going to do anything if you don't know his will? But the Kabbalists are focused on God. You understand? If I only focus on what my wife wanted or didn't want, but never focused on her, mm, you understand? What kind of relationship do we have? So she'd say she has a very dutiful husband. You know, he does his duties. But anyone want to be married to a husband who just does his duties? Anyone want to be married to a wife who just does her duties? No, thank you. So life has, like, this is in all relationships, but when we study in yeshiva, when we're studying Talmud, which I'm doing too, but I'm not making fun, I'm studying yeshiva. You know, I learn. So when we're learning, we're learning the will of God. But when we learn spirituality, we're studying God. Now, often you're studying the secrets of his creation, which is called Maisa Merkava, the ways of the chariot. And that's how God does things, how he runs the system. Sometimes we're studying that, but, but... And that's not exactly God, but when you study it, he's giving you hints and insights into his mind, so to speak, of what the Seichel Elyon is, what's the supernal, supernal wisdom of the creator is when you study the actual matrix that boils down to our physical world here. So that, it does get you very close to God and you're, you're studying really the ways of God. Studying God himself is, like God himself is, there's not a lot of uh, material. <laughs> Why? Because it's unknowable. I mean, anything you'd know about God, if you knew something about God, you'd automatically be wrong. Why? 
because he's infinite, and therefore knowing something about him would mean that it, I know this, versus, meaning every concept is in distinction to other concepts. With, so knowing that, it would be as if he's not the other. He's that and the other. Mm-hmm. So what did you know? What did you ever find out? You didn't find out anything. So you can never really know about God, and we have no material really about God himself. And there are some rabbis who even say it's forbidden to look in there. There are, there are those who say it. It's a bit of machlokas. The Lubavitchers say you're allowed to, and, the, and they, they go very, very deep in the Chabad Hasidis and even start talking about God's essence. But the rest of the community says, like, we don't go there because there's nowhere to go. It'll make you crazy. Could, potentially. <laughs> and um, anyway, we are, um, I think we're, I think, I think we're clear on this. Um, so we, basically we have a shortcut. We cut to the chase. We have a fiber optic link to the king of the universe without having to know any of that stuff. And you know what? When you're that drunk, I don't care how Kabbalistic you are, and I don't care if your beard's going out the door, you're not going to be able to deal with the rocket science of Kabbalah when you're that drunk. All you got left is the king. No matter who you are, all you got left is the king. And so we're in a relationship with the king. And that's it. And what does it say? Mordechai. Is that the order they say? Because that's the order of Shoshanas Yaakov, isn't it? Till you no longer know the difference of between Arur Haman and Baruch Mordechai. Now those are, would you say these are very different letters? Aruhaman and Baruch Mordechai, very different letters. They do share a resh there. Hey, they each have a resh. That's interesting. You have to drink so much. What is this not knowing the difference? What does it mean to not know that? I mean, can you imagine being so drunk that you don't know the difference between the villain and the hero? How drunk would you have to be? You'd have to be plastered. Which means you're not even important at all. You're not praying to the God. You're not praying to the king. Yeah, you're praying to the porcelain god. I mean, you got your head in the toilet. You know, if you don't know the difference between the... You understand? Like, this is what our sages want? That we no longer know the difference between the hero and the villain? I, I don't think I've ever really been that drunk unless I'm passed out. So what's the deal here? What's the deal? So the answer is... That when you add them up, oh, this is um, this is the word cursed. Cursed is Haman, and this is blessed is Mordechai. But when you do the math, the Aleph is one, two hundred, six, two hundred. Someone start doing the math. Oops. What's that equal? Five hundred and two. It equals five hundred and two. Get the math? Five oh two you got up there? Okay, very good. By the way, amazingly, it's the drunk driving code of California. Don't ask how I know that. Well, the truth is, I've never gotten a 502, thank God. And, uh, but there was one time I almost did, because I was an idiot. I was doing donuts in Beverly Hills, meaning I'm driving a foreign license plate car, which means it looks stolen. I'm doing 70 down Wilshire, which is a 35 mile per hour speed. And, and of course, a cop, you know, it's Beverly Hills. I was out of my mind. Beverly Hills, we cops like, oh, hot pursuit, you know, high speed chase. You know, out of, out of state license plates, probably stolen. And what does he see me do? I don't even know he's behind me. I have no idea I'm being chased. At 70 miles per hour, I made a right. I, I'm a professional. I race cars for seven years. I drive professionally. So I can take a right-hand turn on a regular side street at 70 miles per hour. You start early, you get the car sideways, and you just kind of fade all the way around the turn. So he sees me. He sees me do that, and then he just calls all units. He's like, "Call all units," you know, like, like this is going to be something. 
What? No, I don't get tickets. This is years ago. I was a kid. I don't think I had a license. And we came around the corner, and there in Beverly Hills, sometimes you have these intersections that are super wide open, meaning meaning it's just this giant area. And so I was like, donuts. You know, so I just swing the wheel, and then just floor it. And I was like, and I was laughing, and like beer spilling everywhere. And, and, the, and then all of a sudden, I realized that I'm... Like something's like the psychedelics are clicking in or something. I don't know. Something's kicking in, and because I'm starting to see lights and more lights and more lights, and uh, and so I'm just like, wow, this is like turning uh, psychedelic here. And I'm hallucinating. And then until one of the guys says, and we got the music blasting. You know, someone says like, I think it's the cops. And I'm like, and I slam on the brakes. I slam on the brakes. I'm like, what? We're surrounded by cop cars watching us doing donuts for like the last two minutes. <laughs> so I'm like, uh uh. We all get out of the car, it's five of us. You know, we're all like 16, I don't know. I think I had a license. We get out of the car, every one of us is holding a beer. <laughs> Myself included. Myself included. Because it was between my legs, I'm not going to spill a beer. So. <laughs> Values, so so. (laughs) Now you know why my brothers and I stop at green lights. So, anyway, so we're all holding beers. The cops are like, "Oh my god, you guys!" I'll never forget. The next morning, my wife, my wife. (laughs) Next morning, my mom picks me up. Next morning, my mom picks me up. You know, from the station, and she's like, she's like, got this look on her face, like. Not again, and she uh, she hands me a bag. I'm like, "What's this?" She says, "Get in the bathroom and change." So I go to the bathroom. I'm like, "What?" It's not like someone, you know, it's not like the bed was dirty or anything. So I go to the bathroom. I open up the bag. It's a three-piece tan suit from like you know the 19 whatevers. And I'm like, I come back. I close the bag and go back out. I'm not putting that on. What are you giving me a suit for? She's like, "It's your cousin's bar mitzvah." And I'm like, no. She's like, yes, we're late. (laughs) What a lame way to come home. It was not home. It was having a gila for like three hours. I was like, (laughs) someone just killed me. Head was pounding. So, anyway. That's also fine with you. Right, two plus two hundred, plus six plus t- plus uh, twenty, plus forty plus two hundred, plus four plus twenty plus ten is five o two. Our sages say you have to drink so much alcohol that you no longer know the difference between cursed is Haman and Baruch is Mordechai, huh? You want me to be so drunk that I can't tell the difference between here and the villain? That means I'm out. I'm gone. I'm not, I'm not connected even to the king. I'm out of it. I lost it. So what could it mean? And the answer is, till you realize that everything you've ever gone through in your life was a blessing. Till you realize whatever you've dealt with, whatever people you've dealt with, because we've all, we've all been hurt too. We've all had plenty of hamans in our lives. And sadly, we've been the haman in other people's lives. We've all been through stuff. And you have to get to the point on Purim. And it doesn't require alcohol. Yes, you have to get drunk on Purim. But you also have to get drunk on Rosh Hashanah. And you have to get drunk on Yom Kippur. And you have to get drunk on Hanukkah. And you have to get drunk on Pesach. And you have to get drunk on Shavuos. You have to get drunk on Tishaba. Meaning you have to get drunk on Purim. Purim itself has to get you drunk. A Jew, when they go into a holiday, they're drunk on that holiday. I'm drunk on Yom Kippur. Not that I drank alcohol. I'm drunk on the day. I'm there. I'm just totally in that mode of atonement of Yom Kippur. At one minute. After having caused separation, I'm at one minute. Atonement is at one minute. You have to be drunk on every day. 
Purim is not about the alcohol, and it's not about the weed, it's not about the anything other than the truth. You can live in Purim all year round. I do. Mm-hmm. Purim falls a little short on me because I'm there all the time. I mean, not every minute, but that's my baseline. So if I dip below it, I'm going to get myself right back to it. I don't have a lot of tolerance for insanity, as we've described insanity as thinking the physical world is the basis for sanity. We're here to get drunk on Pura. Wine helps. And you do have to drink it. And you should drink a lot of it, but you should be careful not to spin out altogether to where you lost the point. This is the point. The point is, is that whatever you've been going through, the king was hiding there. And it's part of a very beautiful story. It's a beautiful story, and we don't know what this story is. We'll never understand, as I spoke about earlier, we'll never understand the king, really. We'll never understand the king, but we can dedicate our hearts to this king that will, as I said before, will never understand. And of course, if there was a Holocaust victim in the room, we'd be like, okay, you know, like, we're not going to say that you're going to understand that. But it is interesting that all of us should note that it was another Amalek hit. It's another Amalek hit. We've had three Amalek hits, all three times coming back to the land. Amalek hits us when we leave Egypt. Amalek hits us when we leave Persia. And Amalek hits us for its third time right before we build the state of Israel. Three hits from Amalek. And I was sitting at a Shabbos table with a man who had numbers on his arm. I was being extremely sensitive to him. And my father was not. My father says to this man, my father at that point was just beginning his path in Judaism. He had actually come to get me out of yeshiva. He was coming to like rip me out of this place. And he sees a guy with numbers on his arms. He was shocked at the Shabbos table. And he says to this man, he says, listen, you know, like how can you, this man keeps Shabbat. He's always kept Shabbat. He's got his kippah. He's got his tzitzit. He says, how can you with those numbers on your arm keep Shabbat? You know what this man did? He pulled a chumash off the shelf. And he read through the horrors of what's going to happen to us during our history when we choose out of the covenant, when we leave the covenant. What kind of evil reign can get power? What can, what, how far evil can go when we breach the covenant? How far it can go? How much God can hide his revelation when we turn the wrong way and so really everything everything is his story and that's why it's called his story it's a capital H it's his story we are characters inside a plot and anyone who gets conscious to the unfolding of infinity into finite becomes a true player in the, in the show in the play and with that consciousness of God causing your existence at all times you you're living inside an organic gorgeous experience no matter what you're going through it is part of the plan Purim Samach a good Purim you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com